Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll Thank you for letting me help you learn God's Word. And if you want to learn more, go to markdriscoll.org. I've got a weekly newsletter answering your questions, daily devotions, blogs that are Bible teaching and their orientation, and a small mountain of sermons going through lots of books of the Bible. So join me at markdriscoll.org and we'll help you learn even more of God's Word. Father God, thank you so much for our grand opening next Sunday. Thank you that in just a few short months, we've obtained a building, we've met some wonderful people, we've seen thousands of hours of work put in, we have seen dollars raised, we have seen people actually become Christians, we have seen relationships formed, and now, God, we are on the brink of launching a brand new church here in the Valley. We thank you for this tremendous opportunity, and thank you for everyone who has given, prayed, served in any way. We're grateful for everyone's contribution. And God, it is exciting to be part of what you are doing. And so God, as we open your word today, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to take the scriptures which you've inspired to be written, to apply them to our lives so that we might become more like Jesus in whose name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, how many of you uh, like watching those reality television shows? When I was a kid, they didn't really have those new phenomena, a couple hundred reality television shows. And I was thinking about the other night, uh, how many of you watch those shows where they, they'll take, let's say an artist, a musician, and then experts will invest in them so that they become exceedingly good and blossom into the fullness of their potential. How many of you like those shows where they take a beat up old house and all of a sudden the crews show up and it's utterly transformed into something glorious and good? Or how many of you are like me, you're a car person or car guy, and you like seeing some old car taken by a master mechanic and craftsman and turned into something that is revealed at the end is glorious and amazing. You guys like those shows? And I was thinking about it the other night watching one of these shows and I thought maybe the reason that there are hundreds of these shows on television and why so many people connect so deeply with them is in our own heart. That's what we want for ourselves. We want God to take us, to invest in us, to literally take his master craftsmanship capacity and to work in us and on us so that we can flourish. And at the end of time, there's a great unveiling and revealing of who we become after God is done with us. And that, the good news is that's the storyline of the Bible that God takes you and you and you and me and he loves us and he serves us and he invests in us and he knows us and he cares for us and he helps us and he changes us and he transforms us and he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And at the end, there's a great unveiling and he shows this is who they've become. This is who I've made them to be. And then God is glorified and we are filled with joy. And so this is a big concept here at the Trinity Church. How does God change people? How does God do his work in and through people? How does he do that? And so if you've got a Bible, go to Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 13. And we're gonna look at one section of scripture together today on the subject matter of enjoying a new life. How does God make you new? And the first thing he tells us is how he doesn't work. And it's important to know how God doesn't work so then we can understand how God does work. And so beginning in Galatians 5, 13 through 15, he tells us, the apostle Paul does, that rebellion and religion are wrong. And these are really the only two options that most people think that there actually are. Rebellion, uh, break all of God's laws, 
religion, make a lot of additional rules and be a very painful person. And here's how he says it. Galatians 5, 13 through 15, for you are called to freedom brothers. Okay, here's the subject matter. What is real true freedom? We live in the land of the free, home of the brave. Everybody's miserable and addicted. The great pursuit of freedom has not really been successful because apart from God, there is no real freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's a massive concept that we're gonna explore in great detail today. And he's gonna juxtapose the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh is not just your physical body, though we do commit sins in our physical body. Our flesh is that innate disposition toward rebellion. It's that part of us that always just wants to do what's wrong or foolish or rebellious or, or sinful. Have you ever experienced that? Okay, we've all experienced that, amen? It's this part of us, you're like, man, why do I wanna do that? Why do I like to do that? How many of you, you were the kid growing up, as soon as your parents made a rule, you broke it. You just did, you were that kid. You were just that kid, that's the flesh. That's the part of you, even when we know what's right, we wanna do what's wrong. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another for the whole law, the whole Bible, the big idea of God's word is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When they came to the Lord Jesus and they asked him, big book, lots in there. How do you summarize and synthesize? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You do these two things and you'll end up doing everything else that God has for you. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another, that's the religion. So first let me hit this issue of rebellion. Some people think that freedom means you're freedom to do whatever you want. And freedom is not freedom to do what you want. Freedom is freedom to do what God wants you to do. Freedom is not freedom to sin. Freedom is freedom from sin. And some people have this concept of God that he's like a permissive parent. How many of you growing up in school, there were permissive parents in, in my uh, junior high and high school experience, went to not a great public school system, but um, there were always parents who were the permissive parents, meaning if the kids wanted to drink and do things they shouldn't do, there were certain houses they could go to and the parents would actually provide the alcohol. They were the permissive parents. Hey, whatever you kids wanna do, we're fine with that. We'll support that. We'll encourage that. We'll pay for that. We'll participate in that. And some people have a view of God when they hear that God loves them and God forgives them and God will never leave them nor forsake them. They get this false concept of God like he's a permissive parent. Oh, so I get to do whatever I want. No, no, actually God does love you and he does forgive you, but he's not a permissive parent who wants you to, as he says it here, uh, create opportunities for the flesh doing things that are sinful, doing things that are harmful, doing things that are rebellious, doing things that are self-destructive and not toward God's glory or your good. Some of you have lived lives in rebellion. You were the guys, you broke the rules, you were the gals, you broke the rules, you did what you weren't supposed to do, you knew what was right, but you always did what was wrong, or there's a pattern and proclivity in your life toward rebellion. Some of you, it's the opposite. Yours is toward religion. So if those of you rebellious, you are ones who just break all the rules. Those of you who are religious, you read God's word and you say he's got a lot of rules and I'm happy to help him and add some additional rules. Religious people love rules. They love rules about the rules and they love rules about the rules about the rules and they love to judge one another based upon all the rules. And then they end up as he says, biting and devouring one another. That's religion. And much of what he's covered in Galatians to this point, he's speaking against religion. Religious people are very devout, they're very sincere, they're very intense, they're very um, logical, they're very um, committed in every way to their position. 
And so what happens in our culture is that people think, well, it's either rebellion, go break all of God's laws, or religion, just be an unpleasant sort of law-keeping, rule-minding, people-judging individual. Now, which one seems more fun? The rebellion seems more fun, so it tends to be more popular. But even those who are rebellious, they really don't have freedom. They become enslaved to drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, food, whatever their disposition and proclivity might be. Those who are religious, true or false, they're not really happy, fun, joyful people. Have you met some really devoutly religious people and thought, boy, that's who I wanna spend my birthday with. New Year's Eve and Mardi Gras for sure with them. They're no fun at all. But when the world looks at the options, all they see is rebellion or religion. And what happens in uh, rebellion, it becomes very self-destructive. You end up hurting yourself. In religion, it also becomes very destructive as you harm one another. When he uses this language of religious people bite and devour one another and consuming one another, in the original text, that's actually language of wild animals. Okay, what wild animals do, they, they attack one another, they bite one another, they claw one another until one conquers the other and then eats them, right? How many of you, that's why you don't hike a lot in Arizona. You know what's out there, right? We were, we're new to the valley. I'm not used to seeing a bobcat at my house. Recently, I went to pick up my son for baseball, 10-year-old, he's sitting outside in his baseball uniform. He jumps in the truck, we look over, and there's a bobcat out in front of our house. Right? And, and we all know but that's something that can bite and devour you. Right? Wherever we're out on the food chain, we're looking up at the bobcat. That's a little concerning. When it comes to wild animals, what they do is they, they claw one another, they bite one another, they attack one another until they kill one another, and then they consume one another. And what he's saying is that religion's like that. I take my rules and my regulations and my judgments and I just claw at you and I bite at you and I hurt you and I wound you until ultimately I take you down and then I destroy you. And then someone else comes along and does the same thing to me and this cycle just repeats itself and it becomes in a religious community and environment, very judgmental, not very life-giving, very much law-keeping. And as a result, it's, it's all biting and devouring. You need to know at the Trinity Church, we're not for rebellion, we're also not for religion. And some of you have tried both. Some of you were rebellious for a while and then you became religious. Or how many of you were religious for a while and you got sick of it, right? And you got done with homeschool and you went to college and you became rebellious. And we tend to float between these two options of rebellion and religion. And Jesus actually tells a little parable about two brothers and one is the older religious brother and the other is the younger rebellious brother and they're both wrong. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make in the parable of the prodigal. And Paul here was re-echoing it. Well, if it's not rebellion and it's not religion, what does God have for us? And he's gonna juxtapose the flesh, that desire in us to rebel against God with the Holy Spirit, the presence, the person, the power of God in us at work through us to make us more like Jesus. So his next point is, Feed your deepest desires. This is something that Christians just don't know. Very rarely do I have a relationship where we'll have a deep conversation with someone who claims to be a Christian and they actually understand this big idea. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit. So he's gonna juxtapose the flesh and a life that comes out of the flesh, rebellion against God versus the Holy Spirit and a life that comes out of an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I would just submit to you, you can, 
you can understand the whole world in these two categories. We tend to think in terms of gender or race or nationality or IQ or age or generational affiliation or socioeconomic level. God looks down and he says, there are those who live by the flesh and there are those who live by the spirit. And that's how God sees humanity. Walk by the spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. You see this conflict? who you were versus who you are, who you were becoming, who you are becoming, who you will be apart from God and who you can be in relationship with God. And the desires of the flesh are against, uh, the desires of the spirit rather against the flesh for these are opposed to one another, to each other. This is a crazy line to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What he's saying is those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they don't need a lot of cops. They don't need a lot of judges. They don't need a lot of jails. If you're under the control of the Spirit, you don't need an external law because you have the internal Spirit. And what he's saying is you're going to struggle with sinful desires and temptations from your flesh. Furthermore, temptations will come to you and they'll come upon you. They even did to the Lord Jesus. He was tempted. Now, he didn't have the flesh internally, but he had the temptation externally. You and I are actually in a more vulnerable position. We have our flesh internally and we have temptation externally. And the question is, when we are tempted to sin, to rebel, to feed the flesh, to go toward folly and destruction, how do we, how do we live this new life? How do we change our beliefs? How do we change our behaviors? How does the course of our life get redirected and altered? That's the big question. And just so you know, this is what everyone wants. All the self-help books, all the self-help seminars, all the daytime talk shows, all of the magazines with seven steps to this and four steps to that, everyone is trying to figure out how do I change and change my life, right? And that's exactly what we're supposed to desire. But if all you have is religion or rebellion and you don't understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, you find yourself in a very miserable and frustrating place. And some of you have experienced that. So how do you get out of sinful temptation? Well, sinful temptation in the flesh keeps you from doing what you want to do. Okay, let me explain this to you. Non-Christians don't even understand this. If you're here and you're non-Christian, we love you. We're glad to have you. I'm not picking on you, but I want to make a point for you. When you become a Christian, your desires change. Your appetite, your longings, your palate changes. So that your deepest desires are God's desires. So God's desires and your desires, God's will and your will, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he gives you God's desires for you. I'll explain this. I was a brand new Christian in college. God saved me at the age of 19. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget it. It was a Saturday and all the guys were like, hey, we're gonna go out and have a good time and break commandments. Do you wanna go? And I said, no. I'm going to, I, I couldn't even believe I was saying it. I said it and I was like, golly, who is this person with my driver's license? You know, who, who, who have I become? I said, no, I'm gonna stay home and read my Bible. The guys are like, really? You don't wanna go out? I was like, I want to read my Bible, right? <laughs> They're like, you never, what are you? They're going, why, 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 why would you, why would you wanna do that? I don't, I don't know. I don't, something in here has apparently changed. I'm now like, Oh, more Bible. I don't know what's going on in me, but all of a sudden, I want to read the Bible more than I want to go out with the guys. 
I can't explain that change of desire. Now, here's what you need to know. If you're a Christian, your deepest desires are for God and godliness. Your weaker desires are for sinful temptations of the flesh. How do you resist temptation to the flesh? Well, not by rebellion, just giving in, or religion, just being tougher and stronger, but through the spirit and being more passionate. The key to getting out of sin is more passion, not less. Feeding, nourishing your deepest desires. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? You used to do things as a non-Christian and you love them. And now when you do them, you feel terrible. Your desires, your appetite, your palate's changed. If I could give you an analogy, when I was a little boy, I loved my grandpa George. Um, he, he was a big man. He finally gave up on anything with a waist. He just wore overalls and he ate a lot of caramel apples and he'd eat a caramel apple and just let the overalls out. He just gave up on anything with a waist. But I love my grandpa George with all my heart. And what he often had at his house is he had a lot of candy, but he had a lot of black licorice. Um, and my grandpa George loved black licorice and I love my grandpa George. So I would eat black licorice with my grandpa and I really liked black licorice until one day, I don't know if I had the stomach flu or I ate too much black licorice, but I got really sick and I was filled with black licorice and the black licorice made the return trip. <laughs> and I threw up black licorice and I tried to stop as a little boy and black licorice came out my nose, okay? <laughs> It did. Okay. Ever since that day, not a fan of black licorice. I'll just tell you that. Every once in a while, my beautiful beloved wife, she'll be eating black licorice. And like, <laughs> like, I need to flee from her presence because I can't even handle a little bit of black licorice. Now, what I loved, I hated because my desires changed. And for the Christian, sin becomes like black licorice. You're like, I used to love that and now I don't like that. I don't want to do that. That's not who I am. That's not what I want to do. And every once in a while, we'll go back to sin and we'll take a bite and we'll realize, oh, I just feel sick. I just, I, I, that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want to do. Does that make sense? So here's what this means. Christianity is not about killing your desires. It's about feeding your deepest desires. It's not about being dispassionate and Spock-like. It's about being more passionate and feeding what he calls your deepest desires because sin keeps you from doing what you want to do. Does that make sense? God wants to unleash you into a passionate life of real freedom where you're not free to sin, you're free from sin, and you could pursue your deepest desires, the God-given desires that don't come with any guilt. That's amazing. And so what he then warns us against is, okay, what's the works of the flesh and what's the fruit of the spirit? What happens to those who walk according to the flesh? What happens to those who walk according to the spirit? There are only two kinds of people, so there is a choice to be made. So he starts with um, the works of the flesh. And it's, it's interesting, it's the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Fruit is what God produces, works. These are things that we do, not things that God does. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now in our culture, they're obviously not evident to everyone. Amen? Some people look at this list and be like, woohoo, and God's weeping. Here's the list. Sexual immorality. The word here, originally, this is all written in Greek, but the sexual immorality is a word called porneia. We get another word from it called pornography and pornographic. At the top of the list, our culture would say, we're free, and God would say, no, you're a slave. 
this is good. God would say, no, that's bad. I'm finally alive. And God would say, no, this leads to death. So sexual immorality, this is like a junk drawer term for all kinds of wrongful sexual behavior. Anything outside of heterosexual marriage, according to the God of the Bible, I'll just lean over the plate and take one for our team here. Everything outside of heterosexual sex between one man and one woman fits in the category of sexual immorality. He goes on to say, uh, impurity, which is any moral filth, any disgusting behavior. Um, if you've ever had, gals, have you ever had a girlfriend say, girl, that's nasty. Girl, that, I didn't say it very well, but you know, girl, that's, let's just all say it together. One, two, three, girl, that's nasty. You could say it, girl, that's nasty. Oh, okay, we're gonna trade you in on Craigslist for Pentecostals, but they'll, they'll, they'll work with me a little bit. So, but that's just, girl, that's nasty. That's what it means in Greek. Girl, that's nasty. It's just things you're like, that's just nasty, that's wrong. I can see you don't like that, so I'll move around. Okay, sensuality, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, right? What this is, lack of restraint, lack of decency, lack of dignity. I shouldn't say it, but this is ladies where the hemline and the skirt line meet. That's the wrong outfit. That's, that's not right, right? So it's sensuality. It's any sort of lifestyle that's without barriers, without borders, without boundaries, and you're just sort of putting it all out there and everybody else is, hey, that's a little too much information. Right, need, a little, need to pull that back a little bit, tuck that in. We didn't need to see that on your Instagram account. Idolatry, idolatry is where we worship anyone or anything other than God. God is creator, everything else is created. We're to worship creator, enjoy created. Idolatry is where we worship created. This can be your spouse, this can be your kids, this can be your fame, your money, your glory, your power, your appearance, your GPA, your IQ, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the beauty of your spouse. If you live for anyone or anything other than Jesus, and if anyone or anything other than Jesus are at the center of your life, you've got an idolatry problem. You're living for someone or something other than Jesus. And let me tell you this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't exist to give you your idols. Boom, right? A lot of people say, well, if I come to Jesus, I'll get rich. Maybe not, he was homeless. I hate to break it to you. Well, if I come to Jesus, I might be, you know, I might meet a wonderful person and get married. He was single. If I come to Jesus, you know, maybe people will love me. They crucified him. Well, if I come to Jesus, maybe I'll be healthy. Well, they, they murdered him. Well, if I come to Jesus, I won't cry anymore. He cried a lot. So if you have an idol, something that you live for, don't think that if you come to Jesus, he's going to give you your idol. Jesus is enough. And, and sometimes false teaching goes out of Christianity. And I don't want to speak ill of other people, but, but anytime we're saying whatever you want, come to Jesus and he'll give it to you. What we're saying is that Jesus is an idol giver and he's not. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Uh, sorcery. This is, we would call this today. Let's, let's, let's say it like this. Spirituality, let's say it like that, just very soft and tender. Because if we say demonic, it's a little more obvious. We live in a world that believes in spirituality. The Bible believes in angels and demons. And there are, there are good spirits and bad spirits. There are clean spirits and unclean spirits. There are holy spirits and unholy spirits, amen? So spirituality is not necessarily a good thing. Because if you're just spiritual, you're saying any spirit I welcome 
Well, what if it's a demon? That's not good, amen? And so sorcery, spirituality, it's being a spiritual person without the Holy Spirit. It's welcoming spirit beings without understanding that there's God and Satan, and there are clean spirits and unclean spirits. Just like in this world, I would not tell you, just trust everybody. I would never tell you that. When you step into the realm of the spiritual, I would not tell you, trust everybody. It's dangerous. And so what he says is that the fruit of the flesh sometimes, or rather the works of the flesh, I should say, is spirituality. And if you're here today and you say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm spiritual, I love you. But the truth is, that's not a good idea. Enmity, this is fighting. This is arguing. This is hatred, bitterness. I can't forgive you. I won't let it go. Right? Rather than giving it to God, I'm going to stick it to you. This is someone who lives out of hate, oftentimes because they were hurt. And the key is not to let your hurt turn into your hate, but to forgive others as you've been forgiven, to release yourself from that kind of burden and bondage and anger. Have you ever met someone that they took the worst day of their life and they nurture and feed it so that it lives every day of their life? All of their life circles around that pain, that loss, that hurt. They can't let it go. And as a result, it just absolutely turns them into a person that is miserable. And that's what the flesh results in. Strife, what he's talking about there is conflict. How many of you, it's, you know people, or maybe you're that person, drama. There's always, there's always conflict over something. Drama, conflict, that's the fruit of the flesh. That's the result of the flesh. That's what the flesh does. It just leads to a lifetime of head-on collisions with other people. Gosh, we got to argue again. We got to fight again. Who do I disagree with now? What point do I need to make? It's just constant strife and conflict. Jealousy. What this is, this is a sense of entitlement and coveting. You have something that I should have. As a result, I'm jealous of you. And this can be any one of a number of things. Somebody pulls up in a new car, as opposed to thinking, gosh, congratulations. You're like, I deserve a better car. Out comes their spouse. Yeah, I deserve a better spouse. Out comes their kids that can read and write and stay out of rehab. You think, I deserve better kids, right? And then they look at you and they say, I've lost 10 pounds. You're like, I found them. That's not right, right? I deserve better. And all of a sudden, rather than in rejoicing in the blessings that others receive, we become covetous because we are jealous and that's ultimately selfishness. And you could find this out when you've got friends or family and you won't even share good news with them because you know it'll just end up in a lot of drama. You know, I'm not even gonna tell them that I got a promotion because they're gonna just, they're gonna make it into a situation. We're gonna end up in a fight and I don't know why. That's what happens when there is jealousy. Fits of anger, this is emotionally untethered. This is a person who is like a grenade with a pin pulled and everybody's always like, oh, don't touch them, don't bump them, don't make them upset, they'll just explode. They'll just explode. Rivalries, this is that sort of ladder climbing, very competitive, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to conquer you, I'm going to defeat you, or my group will conquer your group. And when this comes into the church, it's like these people against these people, and all of a sudden it's a big war and it's a big conflict, and there's rivalries and somebody's gonna win and somebody's gonna lose, and this is not godly or good. He goes on to talk about dissensions. Uh, this is where factions of people become 
really committed to a cause, not committed to loving one another. God puts over everything that we do as a church, love for him and love for one another. What happens when you get dissensions, you get people that are basically single issue voters. All they care about is their issue, their thing, people like them. And that leads to lots of dissension and conflict with other people and there's no harmony and love and it doesn't operate like a family. He goes on to talk about divisions. Division literally means two visions. In your home, in our church, in your business, if there are two visions for how things should be, you're gonna have division. Division is literally two visions, right? Grace and I, we love each other. We've been together, well, actually, quickly here. It'll be 24 years married, 28 years together. And we love each other. And I can honestly tell you that the more recent years are the best years we've ever had in large part because I'm getting fixed. And, 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 and uh, God's been doing a lot of work on me and in me. But the reason that we've held together, the reason that we've worked through transition, the reason that we still love each other is we have one vision. We wanna love God, we wanna love each other, we wanna love these kids, wanna serve the Lord, we have one vision. We don't have two visions. If we had two visions, Grace and I would have a lot of division because the division is two visions. The flesh leads to what's my vision? What's your vision? What's his vision? What's her vision? The Holy Spirit asks, what's God's vision? We all need to have God's vision for our home, for our business, for our relationships, for our church. We don't wanna have our vision, we're gonna have his vision, otherwise it leads to division. Uh, envy, now this, this becomes even more difficult today, I would submit to you, in the age of social media. Oh, they, they went where? They ate what? They bought what? They met who? Right, how many of you, Right, social media is a temptation you gotta really pay attention to. Not that there's anything wrong with social media, but it, it causes your flesh to start to envy. All of a sudden, we get to peer in on people's lives. We get to see what they're eating and wearing and drinking and where they're going and who they're meeting and what they're doing and what they're driving and where they're living. And it can lead to a lot of envy. That leads to a dissatisfaction and a discontentment with what God has given us. That's not a joyful, healthy life. It goes on to talk about drunkenness. That's overconsumption of alcohol and that could extend into drugs. This is not being under the control of God. This is being under the control of some substance and out of control. Orgies, we would call that partying today. Some of you would call this college, right? It's just out of control, reckless behavior. It's not self-control, it's out of control behavior. Really no restraints, no limitations. And some of you, you hear this list and you say, well, I'm glad I'm not on there. So then he puts in etc. and these things. So maybe you're creative and you found something not on the list, but just consider it on the list, right? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's talking about there is an ongoing habitual lifestyle. If you're saying, this is who I was, this is who I am, this is who I forever will be, what he's saying is, then you're not a Christian because a Christian experiences change. Not all at once, a bit at a time, not always steps forward, sometimes steps backward, but a Christian experiences change, change. And what they wanna do, they wanna fight the flesh because their deepest desires are to obey God and live by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I need you to know. Think of it this way, how many of you fish? I know we're in you know, the valley. When we fish, you go to a place that has something called water. It's, uh, 
it's refreshing and cool and remarkable. And what some people do when they find this thing called water, and I know for many of us, it's like a unicorn. It's like, I've heard of it, but I've never seen one. I didn't know if it was real. There are these things called lakes and oceans. And when you go to one, you throw a line in and you go to catch a fish. And the key for those of you who are fishermen is to know what kind of fish are in the body of water because that determines what kind of bait you use, amen? You gotta get the right bait on the hook for the right fish, otherwise you're not gonna catch anything. Satan's always fishing. This is the bait. This is the bait. You get that? Satan's always fishing. Can I get them? Hmm, what are they like? Here's the deal. Satan will put on your hook whatever bait you like. He doesn't really care. He just wants you to swim up, not see the hook, take the bait, and then reel you into death. And there is something in us, that rebellious part of us, the flesh, that still looks at it and says, well, it looks pretty good. We're kind of, sometimes we get a little dumb like a fish. Just need to remember, anytime you see the bait, there is always a hook. And the flesh doesn't know that, but the spirit reveals that. So when our flesh is tempted, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of God's word. And what he's saying is those who only wanna live this lifestyle, they don't wanna change, they have no desire to change, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a habitual life lived apart from God that ultimately ends in eternal separation from God. That's the works of the flesh. He juxtaposes it with option two, the fruit of the spirit. How many of you have heard this? You got this hanging on your wall. How many of you moms, this is hanging up in your house somewhere, right? This is one of the most famous parts of scripture, Galatians 5. 22 through 24, but, so he's gonna juxtapose the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love. It doesn't say fruits, multiple, it's fruit singular. The fruit of the spirit is love. The Holy Spirit produces love. First John 4, 10 says that God is love, that God loves us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that God puts his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, Romans tells us, that God is love and the fruit of the spirit is love and the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinitarian Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. They love one another. They live together in perfect union and communion forever. When you receive the Holy Spirit, become a Christian, then the love of God is in you and the fruit of the Spirit is love. How do you know somebody has the Holy Spirit? Some will say, oh, they speak in tongues or they do this or they do that. That may all be true. But if you really have the Holy Spirit, here's how we know you love. That's it. You love, there's love that comes out of you. You're more loving than you used to be and in the future you'll be more loving than you are today. There's this progression toward love, toward love. And true or false, the world we live in today, love is not really the dominant cultural mood or, or attitude. How many of you turn on the TV, you're following the election, you're like, I see the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> no, no. Love is the fruit of the spirit. And what love produces is joy, joy. God loves me, God forgives me, God is with me, God is for me, God will never leave me nor forsake me. I've read the book, in the end, God and his people win. This is as bad as it'll ever get. This is as close to hell as I'll ever be. There's joy in that. Peace, that's peace with God. He's forgiven me through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I have peace with God and I have the peace of God. That means I have peace in my relationships with others. That I'm a person who likes to throw water on the fire, not logs. I don't like conflict, I don't like drama, I'm not afraid of it. I just would rather have peace in my relationships because I have peace in my relationship with God. It talks about patience. 
And what this is, this is understanding that it's on God's time, not my time. And that's easy to say and hard to do, amen? Some of you trying to get pregnant, you're like, really? Some of you trying to get a job, trying to find a spouse. You've got things you're trying to do, trying to pay off debt. Patience is saying, okay, God, I'm gonna do everything I can, but it's on your time, not my time. Kindness, what this is, this is a consideration of others. God's not rude to us, but he's considerate of us. This includes empathy, compassion, affection. You ever meet somebody, they look you in the eye, they actually care about you. You're like, that was a kind person. The fruit of the spirit is kindness, kindness. We start by giving people the benefit of the doubt. We move toward people, not away from people. We want good for people, not harm for people. There's kindness. Goes on to talk about goodness. And what is this? This is a generosity where I wanna give, I wanna bless you financially with my money, you know, verbally with my words, spiritually with my prayers. I, I wanna make a deposit in you because I care about you and you matter. Um, and then he talks about faithfulness. This is somebody who's good for their word. How many of you, your employers, and you, somebody says, I'll take care of that, and they don't. They just don't. Faithfulness is you say you're gonna do something, you do it. We can depend on you. You're good to run to the finish line. And also, gentleness. This is the opposite of being domineering. How many of you are more type A, you're leaders? I am. You could be, we could be more domineering. What he's talking about with gentleness is, is not domineering, but other-centered, considerate, more loving, affection, patient, kind, more influencing than pushing. See, gentleness is where we pull people through love. The opposite of that is where we push people through intimidation. And he goes on to talk about self-control. We live in a day that has gotten to the point where a lack of self-control is celebrated as freedom, and that's not what it is. We're free to have self-control. And if you don't have self-control, this is where you need a, a, a jail cell. This is where you need a police officer. This is where you need you know, an armed military personnel to show up and restrain you. This is where you need rehab. This is where you need someone to control you because you're out of control. And the answer to being out of control is to have self-control by the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus lived his life, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the life of Jesus into us so that we can live a life of self-control. And how many of you have experienced this? You became a Christian and all of a sudden you, you're learning and you're growing in self-control. You used to be more of an impetuous person and now you're more of a self-controlled person. He said, that's the life in the Holy Spirit. And what he says, against such thing, there is no law. Right? There is no law that says, uh, hey, that's too much loving. No more gentleness. That's just crazy over there, right? There's no culture on the earth that makes laws against the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We love to see people living out of the Holy Spirit. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What he's saying is since Jesus died for our sin, we could put our sin to what? Death. What this means is we don't deny our sin. We kill it. We don't excuse our sin. We kill it. We don't hide our sin. We kill it. We don't try and manage our sin. We kill it. Because Jesus died for our sin, we can put our sin to death. That means we don't need to celebrate our sin. We can crucify our sin and celebrate Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Now, in each of these, I would ask you to first consider 
if you are a Christian, what are the things that God's already done a pretty good work on and you're encouraged by? You say, you know what? I would, I would put a gold star on my chart. I feel like I made a little progress there by God's grace. How many of you say, well, that one still needs a lot of work? The, the whole, and the question is not, how do I get better at that? But how do I yield to the Holy Spirit in that area? I'll give you one from my life, patience. I am not patient, right? How many of you have noticed that? We got a building three and a half, four months ago, and I'm freaking out that it's not done. Okay, so I am not a super patient person. I'm the guy who wishes the microwave was faster. That's me, okay? Right? Okay. I, I like things done. I like to move forward. I like to make progress. I like to build things. I like to see things on time. Let's go. Let's get it done. Let's make some progress. And that could lead to lack of patience. This hit me some years ago. We, I married Grace, and the first date, um, Grace was late by almost an hour. And she walked out, and I thought, well, that was worth waiting for. So I signed up for it. I knew what I was getting into. And Grace has got much, 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 much better. But early on in the marriage, she would be late, and I'm always early. How many of you are you that way? How many of you are the early people? Okay, you're the godly ones. Okay, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, we'll edit most of this. This is what we'll do. So, um, so, so Grace was often late. But I'll, I'll, just to defend my wife, we, we have five kids, and they're all little. So I'd go get in the car and she'd have to get five kids ready. And I, I was not very considerate, but I wasn't as helpful as I should have been helping get the kids ready. So then, you know, you know what happens? You're leaving, leaving the house. One's like, I threw up. And the other wet their pants and the other's over playing Xbox and the other's got one shoe on. And, you know, it's a situation, right? So then eventually with Grace, we'd get in the car, but I would be sitting in the car waiting. And every second, my blood temperature would go up by one degree and I would get very impatient. And then one day from the back seat, I heard my daughter say uh, something to the effect of, Daddy, are you frustrated? I said, yeah, your mom's always late. She said, but isn't she worth waiting for? Uh, yeah, yeah there, see the Holy Spirit's in the back seat and just, <laughs> just traveled up to the front seat where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, your mom is worth waiting for. She is worth waiting for, right? And, and, and God used the Holy Spirit in my daughter to convict me. This is not about being on time. This is about loving each other. Because I would rather be late with grace than on time with anyone else or early by myself. And she's actually made significant strides. What is your thing that God is still working on in you? And I don't want to shame you. I don't want to destroy you. I don't want to be religious and drop the hammer on you. I want to encourage you to bring that to the Holy Spirit and say, how could I love better in that way, in that area, in that relationship with that person? Because if we love <clears throat> with God's love, these things naturally happen. So you want to live by the flesh, or the spirit. If you want to live by the spirit, the question is, how do you test whether you're living by the spirit? How do you know? And the issue is really in our relationships. The loving relationships we like to say are the mark of good theology. You know that the Holy Spirit is at work and you're living by the spirit, not the flesh, when there are certain things that are happening in your closest relationships. Galatians 5, 25 through 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in 
Step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you want to know whether you're a spiritual person and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're led by the Holy Spirit and you're living a Spirit-filled life, look at your relationships and ask, huh, am I conceited, arrogant, proud, I'm better than you, more important than you? That's not the Holy Spirit, that's the flesh. Are we provoking one another? How many of you, you're in relationships where the Really, it's provoking one another. It's like, I'm poke you and you poke me and I poke you back. And some of you, this is your entire sibling relationship, amen? Literally in the back of the car, you're like, and they're like, mom, dad, knock it both off. You're gonna go on the roof rack, right? There are just certain <laughs> times and people that were just provoking one another. You're like, I'm gonna criticize you. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna point out something. I'm gonna say it in such a way. I'm gonna make fun of you. I'm gonna do it in such a way that you're gonna escalate and then we're gonna have a conflict. When that happens, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. Envying one another, jealousy, wrongful competitiveness, coveting, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the flesh. So you look at your relationships kind of as the test. It's like the gauge on the dash of life. Am I walking in the Holy Spirit or not? Well, let's look at the relationships. You say, well, how do I keep out of doing these things, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit? This is really a military term. How many of you are in the military? Military, okay. True or false? When you're out for a march, you better stay in line. Right? What happens if you don't stay in line? You get in a lot of trouble because the whole point in marching in the military is we stick together because when we're really on the battlefield of combat, if one of us wanders off, what happens to the one who wanders off? They're dead. We're better together. And, and this is a military term saying to keep in step with the Spirit. So wherever the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you, how do you know whether you're keeping in step with the Spirit? I'll give you a couple of ways. Scripture, right? This is the book that God wrote. So as you're determining, okay, what, what am I going to believe? How am I going to live? What's life look like? Start with the Bible. Okay, Holy Spirit, I want to keep in step with you. You wrote all this down so I could keep in step with you. I want to read the Scriptures. So I'd encourage you to be a Bible reader. Number two, it's prayer. Okay, God, I don't know what to do here. Let me talk to you. Holy Spirit, please, please lead me. Please guide me. Please direct me. Please instruct me. Please correct me. Let me keep in step with you. Do you think he'll answer that prayer? Absolutely. God wants to help you. He loves you. He wants you to keep in step. If you pray, he'll answer that prayer. The third way is wise counsel. Godly people. You're saying, man, I don't know what God wants me to do here. I don't know what's right. Find godly people and just ask them, what do you think? Could you pray about this? Could you study the scriptures with me about this? Could you help me figure out what I should do about this? Because the Holy Spirit also lives in people and the Holy Spirit works through people. And fourthly, it's worship. When we worship God, we come into the presence of God. We center our emotions and our affections on God. We center our heart and mind on God. We come to meet with God. And the Holy Spirit, he is the first worshiper. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been worshiping one another, glorifying, enjoying, serving one another forever. And as we worship, the Holy Spirit fills us. And then we're in the presence of God. Now we understand the will of God. Now we can keep in step with God. And so these issues of Bible reading and prayer and wise counsel and worship, they're all the ways that help us keep in step with the Spirit. It's kind of like a healthy diet. When any of these things is missing, our health starts waning. Lastly, it all culminates in this, um, I'll call it uh, this, uh, we don't beat people up, we build people up. Religion beats people up. Okay. If your view of God is primarily a judge, 
That's kind of the religious view of God, that God is a judge. If you're a guilty criminal, do you run to the courtroom? Judge, hey, hey, to interrupt, I just want to tell you some stuff I did today to get it off my chest. If you are a guilty criminal, the last place you run to is the courtroom and to stand before the judge. God is a judge, but ultimately, for those of us who are Christians, the judgment was rendered at the cross of Jesus, and now God is our Father. And the difference is this, a judge will condemn you, but he doesn't help you. I love judges, I'm not speaking ill of judges, but ultimately you come before a judge, they render a verdict, you're guilty, and then here's the consequences. And the judge doesn't come off the bench and walk down and put an arm around you and say, okay, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna come to your house. I'm gonna pray with you. I'll be your accountability partner. The judge doesn't do that. That's what a father does. The God of the Bible is a father. He doesn't just judge you, he comes down to help you. And the mark of whether or not we're actually walking with God is if we're treating other people the way God treats us, not just judging them, but also helping them. And this is sort of the test case. And really what this is, this is how do we do life with God and how do we do life with God together? And the test will be when people do things that are sinful, how we respond will determine and reveal whether or not we're being led by the flesh or led by the spirit. Brothers, so he's talking to Christians, if any is caught in a transgression, the language there is like a trap, right? Sometimes let's say uh, up in Alaska, I watch some of those crazy shows, to survive they'll set out traps and then an animal steps in the trap and then they're caught. Satan is a trapper, he's always setting traps and sometimes God's people step in a trap. It's a temptation, it's, it's a place that now you're in real trouble. You who are spiritual, if you think you're spiritual, you want to be godly, you want to live by the fruit of the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is walking up to someone in a trap and not saying, you are so stupid, did you not see the trap? Do you like the trap? How does the trap feel? You were in this trap before. You you step in that trap on Tuesday. Gentleness, I am so sorry you're trapped. Let me get you out. I've been in a few traps myself. And, and when I was in my trap, somebody got me out. And I'm sorry that you're trapped and I love you. I wanna help get you out. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Some people are like, well, it's up in the trap too. Sometimes we call this dating, right? <laughs> okay. That's funny. <laughs> but if you're single, it's a little too close to home. So, uh, bear one another's burdens. Help one another. Help one another. Our family, every once in a while, go out for a hike, and let's say somebody's a little dehydrated or they're tired. It's like, well, here, let me carry your pack. Let me help you carry that so we can go forward together. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work and then His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. That word there for bear your own load is a lighter load. There are certain things in life that you're responsible for and you need to carry. When he talks about bearing one another's burdens, that's a different word. It's a heavier load. How many of you know the difference between a light load and a heavy load? Light load and a heavy load. When it's a light load, what we need to encourage people is you need to carry that, right? If a single guy comes to me and says, I just can't keep a job because I can't wake up in the morning. Can you wake me up? No. That's between you and your iPhone. That has nothing to do with me. 
That is a burden, my friend, you will have to bear. <laughs> you gotta figure that out. That's something you gotta take care of. That's not my responsibility, because what happens is sometimes irresponsible people find overly responsible people and shift their burden, okay? Some of you are parents, write that down. Okay, you have an irresponsible child, you're an overly responsible parent, so you start carrying all the burdens that the child needs to be carrying. That's the lighter loads. The heavier loads, right, when somebody's really trapped, let's say they're trapped in a sin, or they just they had a miscarriage, or they're in the middle of a brutal divorce, or they got diagnosed with cancer, or their life has just exploded and, and it's complicated, and, and, and you're looking at that person, you're saying, that's too much for one person to carry. That's where, if we wanna see the Holy Spirit show up, we ask for the Holy Spirit to enable us to live in love. We draw near to those people. We don't shame them. We don't attack them. We don't seek to do ill toward them. We don't gossip about them. We love them. We serve them. If they're in a trap, we help them get out. If they're wounded and hurt, we seek their healing. If they're burdened, we try to do what we can to help, to love, to serve. And sometimes all that means is, we just keep checking in and we pray for them. When Grace and I were in the hardest season of our life, I can still think of uh, one particular person that got together with me every single week and he would say, okay, what are you dealing with this week? And I'd say, well, here's what I'm dealing with. He's like, well, I can't fix it, but I could pray with you. And we just prayed together. And what I felt was a transference of burden. I felt certain burdens come off of me and go to Jesus. And the mark of true spirituality is our relationships and how we treat one another when we're in sin and when we're hurting. That's the true mark of spirituality. Religious people, they consume and feast upon one another. Spirit-filled people, they love, bless, encourage, and serve one another. I wanna just lay this as a framework here at the Trinity Church early on. We wanna live out of the spirit, not the flesh, amen? We wanna keep in step with the spirit, and when we need one another because we've stepped into a trap or we've received a heavy burden, we want to love one another. And those are opportunities for God to get glory as we submit to the spirit and we love one another as God in Christ has loved us. Father, thank you for an opportunity to teach the scriptures today. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you empowered the life of Jesus, that you come to bring the life of Jesus in us that you allow us to become someone that otherwise we just wouldn't be, to live a life that otherwise we just wouldn't live, to desire things that otherwise we just wouldn't desire, and to treat people in ways that otherwise we just simply and frankly would not treat them. Lord God, I pray for us that the mark of our lives would be the fruit of the Spirit and that it would show forth in our relationships, particularly when people are hurting the most. God, help us to make the Trinity Church a safe place a healthy place, a healing place, a burden-bearing place where people come and they are free to talk about their struggles and their needs, knowing that they're not going to get a religious spirit, but they'll get the Holy Spirit in whose name we pray. Amen.